0: Welcome to this week's Dividend Cafe podcast. I'm recording from New York City on Thursday night where I've just arrived and will be here for 10 days of meetings and all sorts of busy stuff. And and it was actually kind of a crazy day in the market today. So let's get into it and we'll kind of cover all the bases. The bear market that never comes until it does. Bear markets are nearly always a byproduct of a recession and if not a recession, then certainly a result of a valuation bubble. Dot com and the housing market 10 years ago come to mind. We follow a plethora of metrics that have historically indicated such conditions creeping, the absence of which have never really meant a bear market. Right now we see a weak IPO market. Generally, IPO markets have bubbled up in advance of the big bear. We see very little retail investor interest in the stock market, generally we see unhealthy levels of the opposite in advance of trouble. Market breadth weakens in advance of a bear market, but it's been quite robust as of late. Credit spreads generally widen, right now they're quite tight. The one factor which coincides with the bear market is a weakening in companies that are revising their earnings expectation upward, but that is one out of nine factors that we look at. Um, Look, we will have a bear market again, but those predicting its imminence are fighting against a lot of data, at least for now. Just say no to avoid addiction. Our position has been that the problem with zero interest rate policy has been that it a discriminates against savers, b creates malinvestment by distorting risk-reward signals, and c becomes addictive for the economic actors in our society. The counter-argument is that the stimulative effects it creates are the necessary trade-off to those particular unfortunate side effects. I happen to disagree, but here's the thing. How are those stimulative effects going to work when things get unwound? Will the bond and stock markets just throw up anyways, unstimulating all the stimulus? This really is a very complicated dilemma that central banks have created. The future is so bright I have to own a calculator. Do I know for sure that our Fed will embrace negative interest rates in the years to come? No, I don't. Do I, sus- do I strongly suspect it? Yes, I do. Sadly, if we saw policymakers speaking ill of the policy direction of Europe and Japan, I'd be more encouraged. But the general philosophical school of thought our central banker academics come from has absolutely no reason to not embrace negative interest rates. This will be perhaps the most interesting policy development in the years ahead. Will the Fed have the courage to put the economy into a mild recession by seeking monetary normalcy, or will they triple down on global exotic policy? I hope I'm wrong about what I believe will happen. Well, all our... Wow. Well, All eyes are westward bound, bound, look east. I guess that's a mouthful. The focus is understandably on the Federal Reserve, always and forever. But those keeping their eyes on the star of the east, that is China, know that their debt to GDP is now over 250% as corporate borrowing tripled in just a few years. I should note, this is quite different than the sovereign debt of, say, like a U.S. or Japan or Europe. Um, theirs is heavily focused around corporate debt china is not slowing their corporate expansion uh, their credit expansion down as bank lending continues to be on a tear house prices are flying there's a corporate bond bubble many indicators commodity prices imports to name a couple tell me that maybe this nonsense doesn't come to an end tomorrow come to an end tomorrow or next week But at some point, currency depreciation and tighter control on capital outflows will become their desired remedy, filled with risks of contagion to global markets. The tension between China and U.S. policy is not settling down. And by the way, China is hardly the only systemic big-picture concern we see around the world. What was behind the 200-point drop in the market today is the premier German superpower bank Deutsche Bank making new lows in its stock price, down about 75% in the last two years alone, and the cost of insuring its debt has skyrocketed. I have no opinion on what will ultimately happen with that particular name, but I will say that the idea that eight years after the Lehman Brothers moment, we have a premier financial institution on the verge of bankruptcy because of extreme leverage and and debt is just surreal. I guess the more things change, the more they stay the same. I liked this job better when it was easier. Few topics have been more discussed this year in the financial press than that of what has transpired in the world of hedge funds. And for all of the hand-wringing, from our perspective there does not appear to have been a lot of great analysis on what has really gone on and what it means for the future. We would be careful to delineate between cyclical realities with hedge funds For example, the the fact that stocks and bonds have been positive for some time, which diminishes investor feeling about their own need for alternatives. Also the fact that in a systemically low interest rate environment, there's been very little dispersion of returns and therefore need for active manager alpha uh, excess return. But then there's also structural challenges for hedge funds. And this is what I mean about liking the job better when it was easier it was structurally easier for hedge funds in a past era when there were much less of them not all tides will be rising not all boats will be rising strong manager alpha will matter but it is hard with the diminished opportunity set that the glut of hedge funds has created there's also other issues that are structural new sec requirements on them disclosing their positions every quarter Taken away some of their information edge and also greater technological efficiency that a lot of talented hedge fund managers are used to now have kind of commoditized some of those things so we remain very sanguine about the need for alternatives and non-correlated investments in a diversified portfolio especially going into 2017 where the expected returns for stocks and bonds will very likely be more muted than it's been But we have to pursue this with a real sensitivity to cyclical and structural hedge fund headwinds. If you say it enough, it eventually happens sometimes. As of press time, there uh, still aren't enough details to really write on all of this with authority. But oil spiked well over 5% on Wednesday, went up again here today, Thursday, on rumors that lo and behold, a Saudi OPEC oil production cut might actually happen after all. If indeed this does play out, it would represent the first cut since 2008, and probably would represent an even bigger story than the increase in oil price we've seen so far. The devil will be in the details, but our thesis is that Saudi is preparing to sell their state-run oil empire, a portion of it, to the public markets, and therefore they want a full valuation, which requires a full ideal oil price environment, Uh, the production cut uh, may just help create that. The nature of the thing. The greatest treasury secretary in American history and my very favorite founding father, Alexander Hamilton, and might I point out, my obsession with Hamilton long predates the pop culture phenomena of the brilliant Broadway musical. But Hamilton was quite fond of discussing, quote, the nature of the thing, end quote in his arguments for various aspects of constitutional jurisprudence and overall political economy. The underlying self-attesting foundational character of something has relevance when we formulate observation and argument. The reservations I have about central bank shenanigans right now do not make me a long-term stock market pessimist because I understand the nature of the thing. At their core, stock prices are discounted expressions of future cash flows and earnings of operating companies. And at their core, operating companies are providing goods and services in pursuit of the profit motive. Central bank actions can make the appetite for such a thing go up and down in various cycles and can impact positively and negatively a host of factors in that pursuit. But the nature of the thing, always and forever, is human ingenuity and triumph of markets. I'm a Hamiltonian long-term and otherwise. Our chart of the week at DividendCafe.com this week shows the annual return of the S&P 500 over the last 80 years, excuse me 90 years, in years that the uh, that interest rates went higher and then in years that interest rates went lower. And believe it or not, The average return is actually higher by 2% per year when rates went up, not down. The reality is that in 78% of the 46 years since the Great Depression that the 10-year interest rate yield has gone up, the stock market went higher. So look, we truly do believe that the market is sensitive to higher interest rates and there's a number of reasons that may be more so this time than in the past. But please don't accept the kind of thoughtless analysis that assumes rates going up always means stocks going down. It largely depends on the reason rates are going higher. Well, um, September will come to a close at the end of the day tomorrow, Friday, which I guess is today Friday for you listening. I'm recording this Thursday night, as I said. We're heading into the final quarter of the year uh, uh, next week, and Q4 will bring us another batch of earnings results, and of course, next month, the U.S. election results. Um, There's also an Italian referendum that will go to vote in December, so there's going to be some activity here in Q4. Um, I'm spending these next 10 days, along with our portfolio analytics director, Dea Pernas, truly searching for wisdom as it pertains to our portfolio positioning and defensiveness. Um, We anticipate an illuminating, thought-provoking batch of meetings, but there's no meeting we're ever going to have. No manager, no revelation is ever going to change this. Your success as an investor and the ultimate financial outcome you're after will always and forever have more to do with your behavior than any particular piece of the portfolio. Our obsession with trying to get the portfolio decisions we make right does not alter the immutable truth that portfolio success is a byproduct of investor decision-making, and it's to that end that we work. Enjoy your weekends. I'll be enjoying mine busy at work here in the Big Apple. Thanks for listening to Dividend Cafe.